What is Satan's goal? What is, what is Satan's ultimate goal? You ever, you ever think about that? What is, what is the goal of Satan? Is, is his goal to mess up your life? Is his goal to attack you, to, to cause bad things to happen to you, to, to wreck your marriage and to wreck your kids and to wreck your job and, and to come along and to mess up your life? Is that, is that his goal? What is Satan's goal? Is his goal to lead you into sin, to set traps and to set snares and to, to set out temptations and, and to make those things look appealing and to, to lure you, to lead you into sin. That You might say, well, the devil made me do it. Is, is that his goal, to, to lead you into sin? What is Satan's goal? The Bible says that he, he prowls about looking for someone to devour. Is that his goal? Is that his ultimate goal? Now, be sure today, those are all things that he does. Those are all tactics that he holds. He for sure is looking to, to tear you into pieces. But be very sure today, listen to me, to me, hear this today. Satan's ultimate goal is that you would miss Jesus Christ. His ultimate goal is that as many, as many as possible would miss Jesus Christ. His goal is that he would lead as many people to miss the grace and the mercy and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is his goal, that many people will have been born and lived and, and passed through these days and, and lived this life and will have missed Jesus Christ. That's his goal. And I'll just tell you this morning, he doesn't care how it happens. He doesn't care what it takes, as long as many, many people miss Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you what I believe his greatest ploy is in 2018. This, this day, this age that we're living in, I believe his greatest ploy, as, as time is soon to draw short, as the, as the sand and the, the hourglass begins to pick up pace, as, as wickedness swirls all around us, as Jesus is very soon to come again, as, as lives are urgently hanging in the balance, I believe his greatest ploy today is to make us numb to it all, to make us numb to sin that it no longer bothers us, to make us numb to lostness, that we, we no longer even see it any longer, to make us numb to our eternal condition, to the truth that there's even an eternity, even numb to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, Satan doesn't care if you go to church as long as you become numb to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even numb to Jesus himself. 2018, look around today, people are numb. We're raising kids today and they're growing up and they're numb and we're, we're numb today and we've got all of this stuff today and we've got all of this money today and we've got phones that never leave our hands and we've got entertainment 24-7 and we've got sports and we've got schedules and we've got stuff to do and we've got places to go and all the while we are numb, so very numb to what really matters. That's Satan's plan. That's, that's Satan's goal, that we will live these days and we will have done all of these things and we will get to the end and we will have missed Jesus Christ. That's his goal. 
Today we continue our sermon series, It's Still the Church. And I want to tell you, I, I love this sermon series. I love that truth. You know what? It is still the church. Who's going to spread good news? It's still the church. Where are people going to find hope in Jesus Christ? It's still the church. What is God's plan for his people to tell a lost world about Jesus? It's still the church. We're going to continue our sermon series, It's Still the Church. This morning our message is entitled, The Dangerously Deceived Church. The Dangerously Deceived Church. We're in Revelation chapter 3 today, verses 14 through 22. Revelation chapter 3 Verses 14 through 22. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor and the celebration of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 3, beginning here in verse 14, Jesus is speaking. Listen very carefully. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for the truth of the revelation of your word, Jesus. Thankful for our hope in him, our our security, our eternity, our redemption, our righteousness, all secured in Jesus Christ. I pray now, Lord, as as we pass through these verses today, I, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray right now that it would be a supernatural event. Lord, I I pray that you open our eyes today, that you open our ears today. Lord, I pray that in the speaking, the preaching of your word, that we would see you today. I pray the result will be tremendous. I pray that there will be lost people saved today. I pray that there will be saved people shaking to the core of their foundation, changed today. We would have been instructed. We would have been encouraged that we couldn't be the same. Lord, I pray that you move in this hour, this time. We submit this to you. We tell you we love you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we come to the seventh church, the last church that Jesus addresses here in the book of Revelation. Now next week in conclusion, we're going to look at Jesus' promises to those who overcome. Let me just tell you this, I would not miss next week. 
I would not miss next week. We're going to see all of the promises that Jesus himself gives to those who overcome. And so I want to just tell you right now, plan to be here next week, plan to invite somebody to have them here with you as we see the promises from Jesus himself to those who overcome. But today we're going to look at this seventh church. We're going to look at this seventh message from Jesus to this church. Now, this morning I've broken it into three sections for our study. We're going to see today the danger of this church. The danger of this church. We're going to see the deception of this church. The deception of this church. And then last, and it's going to be awesome, we're going to see the deliverer of this church. We're going to see the deliverer of this church. So again, as we pass through this seventh message, we're going to see these three things. The danger of this church, the deception of this church, and the deliverer of this church. Now let's set the context this morning. Starting in verse 14. First part of the verse says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now again, Jesus reveals the message to the apostle John to give to the pastor of this local church. And that's what the angel is referring to symbolically, the, the local pastor of this local church. Now it says that this local church is in the city of Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea is a very interesting city. It was a sister city to Colossae. Remember the letter to the Colossians that Paul writes? It's in that city. That city was at less than 10 miles, really about six miles from Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea was a commercial city. It was on the main trade routes of three different main roads. And so there's three different roads uh, that intersect there in, in, at the point of this city. And so it is a major commercial city. One of the major trades there in this city was the production of soft black wool. Now, we talked about another city that was dyeing wool. Uh, this was not dyed wool. This were, these were sheep that were bred that produced this black, soft wool. It was considered a luxury. And so to have garments, to have clothing out of this black wool was considered a sign of wealth. It was a luxury to have this black wool. They were also big in the, in the industry of medicine, and, and medicine, that industry had, medical industry had sprung up in this city. Also, as one of the early centers of banking, and there was the exchange and the lending of money going on there in this city, and so it's a financial powerhouse. There's the, the banking industry in this city. Under the Roman rule, Laodicea had greatly prospered. There was a, there was a time of peace, and there was the, the security of peace. They weren't having to worry about an outside threat. And under that time of Roman rule, they had become the most wealthy of all seven of these cities. In fact, they were the most wealthy of all the cities in the entire region. So understand today, this is an affluent city. This is a rich city. Look at verse 14 again. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Again here, Jesus 
describes himself. And I've said it all the way through these messages. Maybe the, the most spectacular thing is the description that Jesus gives of himself. Well, as Jesus begins the message, as Jesus enters into the message, he makes it clear who is speaking. He describes himself. He says, this is the one. I am the one. And he reveals himself as the one who is speaking. And I, I think you could have a sermon series on just these descriptions of Christ. And so Jesus says, this is who I am. And he reveals himself as such. Now, let's look at his description today. It starts off and it says, the amen. Kind of odd, isn't it? The amen. Amen is a word that's borrowed from the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it means certainty. It means settled. It means unchanging, fixed, and sure. That's, that's what that word means in the Hebrew. And so see this, that is exactly Jesus. Jesus says the amen. He reveals himself as the amen. Understand today, every promise, he is the fulfillment. Every hope, he is the realization. Every need, he is the answer. Understand, everything is sure in Jesus. Everything is fixed and settled in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know what? Everything is settled in me. Everything is fixed in me. Forgiveness, amen, Jesus. Redemption, amen, Jesus. Mercy and grace to a lost world, amen, Jesus, a savior for sin, a hope for mankind, life that goes into eternity, amen. It is settled in Jesus. And so Jesus says, I am the amen. Everything is sure in me. Everything is fixed in me. Every answer you need, you find in me. He is the amen. Very awesome. Then he says, the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. Now, a witness is a person who testifies, who gives testimony. Well, Jesus is the faithful, the loyal, the reliable. These are all shades of that word. The, the trustworthy, the dependable witness. Now, I don't know if you, if you watch our court system today, it really doesn't mean anything for somebody to testify. Somebody will testify to something, it'll never stand. They'll testify to something, two-thirds of it will be the truth. Listen, Jesus says he is the trustworthy witness. He is the dependable, faithful witness. In John 14, Jesus says that he is the truth. And so now understand what he's saying. He is the truth, and now he is the witness to that truth. Now, what that means is this. He is the revelation of the truth. That's a pretty deep thing. Jesus says, I am the truth, but he says, if you look at me, you're gonna find the revelation of the truth. If you wanna know what the truth is, you look to me. I am the faithful witness. The truth sets us free. By the truth, we're saved. Jesus says, look to me, and I am the full revelation of the truth. We'll perish outside of the truth. We have no hope outside of the truth. Jesus says, listen, not only am I the truth, I'm gonna make it accessible. I'm the full revelation of the truth. He describes himself. 
Last, he says, this is pretty awesome. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, stay with me here. There are some who say, and they're wrong, but there are some who say that Jesus was created. That at, at some point, Jesus was created. And that he is the first thing, or the first person, the first thing that was created. And they would say this verse supports that. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Listen, that's not right. We, we, we tend to mess that up in our English translation. Now listen, the word for beginning here, the word for beginning, the beginning of the creation of God, actually translates in the original language, in the Greek, ruler or power. And so I want you to listen to this. He says, I am the power, I am the source of power of creation. He's saying creation starts with him. Creation occurs through him. And so I want you to understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, you know what? He is not created by God. He is the creator God. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not created by God. I'm not, I'm not something subject to the creation of God the Father, but I am and I stand as the creator God. Now, can you imagine how powerful this is? I think if we're not careful, we'll miss that. Can you, can you understand, can you picture how powerful this is? Here's Jesus. In John chapter one, John says he is the creator God. Verse three, all things came into being through him. In Colossians chapter one, Paul says Jesus is the creator God. Verse 16 for by him all things were created. The, the testimony of scripture is that Jesus is the creator God. Well, now Jesus stands and Jesus says, I am the amen. Everything is settled in me. Every answer you need is found in me. I am the truth. I am the revelation of that truth. I am the final word of God. And he now stands and says, and I am the creator God. That is who's speaking. That's who's speaking. Listen, every answer, everything's settled in me. I am the truth, the, the final revelation of the truth, and I am creator God. And then he begins with the message, verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. For the seventh time, Jesus says, I know your deeds. We've talked about this. What that means is this. Jesus knows the goings on in the church. He has eyes that see. He knows the motivations in the church. He knows the, the hearts in the church. And so he doesn't say, well, I see the appearance of the church. He says, I know the deeds. I know the goings on of the church. It is clear to me. I know what you've been up to as a church. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. Not cold or hot. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. Cold means spiritually cold. It means that they had rejected Christ and they made no attempt 
to hide it. They had rejected Christ. They had rejected the gospel. They had made no attempt to hide it. Those were a cold people. You know what? They, they act like they're lost because they're truly lost. Sometimes we wonder, well, why do those folks act that way? Listen, they are lost and they act like they're lost. These are the spiritually cold. Hot means spiritually alive. It means alive in and through Jesus Christ. Hot means that you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It means that you're led, that you're directed by the word of God. Hot means that you're saved by the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hot means that they are and they lead changed lives. They lead transformed lives. They are spiritually hot. Now, let me say this this morning right here. Let me go ahead and say this. As, as Christians... Listen, we are to lead hot lives. As Christians, we are to lead lives that are ablaze. We are to lead lives that are on fire. We're not to lead sleepy lives. We're not to lead lazy lives. We're not to lead apathetic lives. We're not to have cool or even cold lives. As followers of the amen, as followers of the full revelation of the truth, as followers of the creator God, we are to lead lives that are hot. How could that not be? Oh, listen, how could that not be? Listen, in 2018, Satan has led us to be numb. He's led us to be indifferent. Listen, Jesus is the amen. We've become numb to that. Jesus is the truth. We're writing volumes looking for the truth. He is the truth. We've become numb to that. He is the creator God. We've become numb to that. Listen, as Christians, we are to lead hot lives. It's very, very interesting. The false teaching of this day, the, the, the heresy, this false teaching of this time in Laodicea was the same one that was in Colossae six miles apart. Now, let me tell you what was going on. It was the start of what's called Gnosticism. It taught or it followed that Jesus was created. And that was the starting place of Gnosticism, that, that Jesus was created and that he is, or at least he was for a time, lower than God, that he is or at least he was for a time separate from God. And so that is why Paul writes the letter to the Colossians telling exactly who Jesus is. That's when you go back and read the letter to the Colossians. He talks about Jesus is the creator. All things are created through him. That is why Jesus, when he addresses this church, says, I am the source of creation. Be sure, listen, this church wasn't hot this church wasn't spiritually alive because a false Jesus 
had been portrayed out of the teaching of a false gospel. Friends, I need you to listen to me this morning. If you want to find a church that is spiritually dead, if you want to find a church that is lost, you find a church that preaches a different Christ that has embraced a different gospel. Today, people say, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Why does it matter? Listen, it matters because if you have a different gospel, you're going to end up with a different Christ and people will be lost for all eternity. And that's what happened in this church. They ease along and say, you know what? He was created by God the Father. And they start to change the mechanism and the understanding of Christ. And in that, they embrace a false Christ and they are lost because of a false gospel. That's why it matters. That's what happened in this church. And so the context is set. Now we're going to see the danger of this church. The danger of this church. Verse 16. So because you are, listen to this, Jesus. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm, you look up the definition. It means moderately warm, mildly warm. If you look up synonyms for the word, here's some synonyms. If you, if you put in the word for lukewarm, it, here's, some, here's some words similar. Apathetic, half-hearted. Starting to sound familiar, indifferent. God of creation, indifferent. Unresolved, uncommitted. Jesus says you're not hot and you're not cold but you're lukewarm. Jesus says, and I will spit you out of my mouth. Listen, I will spit you out of my mouth. Spit in the Greek means vomit. It means to reject or repulse with utter disgust. This is Christ. It means to puke out violently. Jesus says in utter disgust, I will repulse and I will reject you out of my mouth. I will puke you out. Why? Now that's a pretty tough question. You think about it. Why? Why would he rather they would not just, why would he rather they just be lost, cold? That, doesn't that seem better to be a little bit warm than cold? Why does he say it's better to be cold? I would rather that you were cold. If you were cold, I wouldn't do this to you. That's what he says. That's, that seems crazy. Why is, he, why is he so upset that they're not cold, but that they are lukewarm? It's because of this, and listen very carefully. Lukewarm meant that they attended church at least enough. Lukewarm meant that they claimed to know Christ. Oh, we'll talk about Jesus, at least outwardly. Lukewarm meant that they practiced all of the notable things 
of religion. We'll participate in your Lord's suppers. We'll participate in your baptisms. We'll come on and we'll celebrate Christmas and Easter and, and we'll take up the notable things of your religion. Lukewarm meant that they, they put on a show. That's all it was, was a show. Lukewarm meant that they were playing some kind of game, but it also meant they were lost. You see, the danger was they didn't reject the gospel, at least openly, they just didn't believe the gospel. They just weren't saved by the gospel. They had never been transformed by the gospel. Paul says in 2 Timothy, they hold a form of godliness. They know all the words. They hold a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There's no change in their life. There's no power in their life. They claim the language of Christianity, but they've rejected the gospel of Christianity, and they're lost Here's the danger. The danger is those people lead a lost world to see no difference. See, that's the danger. If a person's cold, they're identifiable. They're lost. They live like it. They're lost. These people are playing a game, and they lead people to, to see no difference. They lead a lost world to believe there's no power. Hey, I thought there was power in the blood. I thought there was power in the gospel. When you see these people, and they're lukewarm, they rob the gospel of its power. And these people, they lead a dying world that's lost in their sin to be numb to the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, Calvary Baptist Church, the most dangerous thing that could ever happen to us is if we ever allowed people to be numb to their lostness. If we ever, we ever cast a blind eye and we allow people to be numb to their sin. The most dangerous thing is that we would parade around and people would see us and they would see what we claim, but they'd watch the patterns of our lives and there'd be no difference, no real difference. There'd be no change, no real change. And in doing so, we'd march them to the gates of hell. That's the danger of this church. They knew all the language. They knew all the words. They made the right professions. They never were saved. And they lead people to be numb in their lostness. Second thing is the deception of this church. The deception of this church. Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have, no, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You say, I am rich. The word translates abundantly wealthy. Abundantly, crazily wealthy. I'm rich, but I've become wealthy. It means that your wealth is growing. There's hope in your wealth. You know what? There's more wealth today than there was yesterday. And so if I spend it all up today, I believe there's gonna be more wealth for tomorrow. And so your wealth is growing. It says you have need of nothing. It literally means you think you need nothing. They're satisfied. They're satisfied with the world's wealth. They're satisfied in their lost condition. They're, they're satisfied. But Jesus says they do not know the reality. In reality, listen to what he says. They're wretched. 
They're miserable. Thought you were wealthy. I thought you were secure. You're miserable. You're poor. Poor translates destitute and helpless. Your only hope is to beg. That's that, that translation of poor. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind. You can't see, you can't perceive. You're naked. Maybe the grossest thing, they're naked. That, that black soft wool that they're wearing, those fine clothes that they're wearing, they may hide something from the outside world, but they're walking around and they're exposed and they're naked and the ugliness of their sin and the sins of the past and the sins of the present stand out and they stand there in their fine clothes, but they're really naked. Shamed in their nakedness. Here's what happened. They were lost because they decided and they thought that comfort now was a promise of comfort later. That's what they believe. We have comfort now. We are in need of nothing. There's not one thing we need, and they, believe, they began to believe the lie that their comfort now would promise them of a comfort later. They were numb to the fact that they were living a lie. They were satisfied with the world's riches. They were satisfied with the world's comfort. And so they were satisfied. They were content in their lostness. And to play a game for them was enough for them. To hold the appearance of a Christian, it was enough for them. And they were satisfied in their lostness. Nothing is sad. Nothing so heartbreaking be standing in your sin, condemned before a holy God, but to somehow become satisfied in it. Nothing so sad. Oh, I'll be fine. No, you're lost. Nothing so sad as to be numb to your lostness. Last today, and it's the most awesome, it's the most tremendous, the deliverer of this church. The deliverer of this church. Be sure and listen very carefully. Verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. He's talking about true riches and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. He's talking about true righteousness. And eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's talking about a true perception. Listen, he says that you would buy from me. Listen, what this is is an offer of salvation. He says, you know what? You think you're rich? I'll give you true riches. It's an offer of salvation. You're so self-righteous. You think you're in need of nothing? I will give you true righteousness, the righteousness of my own son, Jesus Christ. He says, you're blind. You can't see. You can't perceive. But I'm going to open your eyes and you'll see. It is an offer to them of salvation. Verse 19. Those whom I love, Jesus speaking, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, the result of, therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus is speaking and he, he says he loves. Listen, listen, John 3.16 says he loves the whole world. He loves, he loves those that, that are humans. He loves the, the entirety of creation, the created order of man. He loves, Jesus loves. And so his, his call to them is be zealous. Zealous means be urgent, be serious-minded, be urgent and repent. I love you and so I call, I direct you to be, to be serious-minded, to turn, to repent, to turn to God. Verse 20. Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Dine means fellowship. Dine means friendship. In this culture, you would never dine with an enemy. You would never invite him to your home. You would never dine with an enemy. There at the dining table, there would be laughter. There at the dining table, there would be stories that would be told and, and given back and forth. There at the dining table, there would be love. There would be fellowship there at this table. There would be friendship at the dining table. See this picture See this reality, see this truth in verse 20. Some say you have to be careful in how you interpret verse 20. They would say that it's not for personal salvation, and I've heard that. They would say this verse is, is not applied to personal salvation. They would say this verse is not for evangelism, but rather it's talking about this local church. And they would say that to apply it wrongly diminishes how we see Jesus. They say that to apply it wrongly changes, diminishes, takes away from the sovereign power of Jesus, takes away from the sovereign rule of Jesus. Let me tell you today, not at all. Not at all. It is the opposite of that. This is the greatest picture of Jesus. This is the greatest picture ever of Jesus. It absolutely applies to individual salvation. It absolutely applies to evangelism. How do you invite Jesus into the center of the church? You put Jesus into the center of the lives of the people who make up that church. Yes, it's for evangelism. Yes, it's for personal salvation. See this picture. See this picture. This church was false. This church was dead. This church was hypocritical. This church had taken the gospel, the powerful, beautiful gospel, and they had distorted that gospel. They had decided it wasn't enough, and they changed the gospel. This church, they had become numb to the glory of our Savior, Jesus. It did nothing to them to hear about Jesus. They had become enamored with the lost world. They had become satisfied with the things of this world. 
Not only that, if that's terrible enough, not only that, they had led people to be numb to their lostness. They had lived and they had claimed one thing and their hypocrisy had led people to be numb to their lostness. They had led people away from Jesus Christ. This church had slandered the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning. If there was ever a church to smash, if there was ever a church to strike down, if there was ever a church to crush in righteous judgment, if there was ever a people to say, enough, 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 if there was ever a church, this is that church, and these are those people, but instead of that, the powerful creator, the truth, the amen, the king of glory, God himself says to this church, oh, I love you, I love you, oh, that you would repent, oh, that you would turn, and I stand even for you, and even now, I stand and I knock, and if you would but open, I would come in and I would dine with you, and there will be fellowship Listen, that is sovereign power. That is holiness. That is grace. Listen today. Do you see the gospel in that? Listen. If there was ever anyone who should have been crushed, it should have been you. It should have been me. If there was ever a person that slandered the name of God, it was me, it was you. If there was ever a person that should have been slain for their own sins, it was you, it was me, not him. It was not him. But he goes to the cross of Calvary and in tremendous grace, in tremendous resurrection power, he stands and with holes in his hands, holes in his hands, he knocks and he knocks and those that will open, he will come into them and he will save them and in grace and kindness, there'll be fellowship. Oh, how can it be? that thou, my God, would die for me. What grace that is, with holes in his hands, he knocks on the door, oh, with holes in his hand, that we would but open. That is grace, that is grace, that is power. Need not one thing, the sovereign God of creation in the skin of human flesh stands and with man-made holes in his hands, he knocks in patience that we would but answer. That is Jesus. That is Jesus. That is glory. With holes in his hands, he knocks. If you will hear his voice and answer, he would come into you and die. Verse 29, verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Once again, corporate call, individual response. Two applications. First is this. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the words aren't going to matter. The religious appearance is not going to matter. He calls you worse than cold. There has to be a day that you understand. My hope alone is in Jesus. He is the amen. It's settled and answered in him. 
and I put my faith in him, my trust for my salvation. If that's you today, settle that today. The first call, this is this. He is patient, he's gracious, he's kind. Though he ought to strike us and smash us dead, he exhibits grace even today. The door of the ark stands open even today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, do it today, settle it today. We're gonna end this service the time of invitation. If that's you, you run up here. Settle that today. If you're not sure, you grab my coat. Tell me the good news. Settle that today. Second response is this. May we as a church never be that numb. May we never be that blind to lostness. May we never be that enticed by the things of this world. May we never not understand that how we live is leading people up to the gates of hell and we'll turn and walk back and leave them there. May we never be that numb. Listen, we were built for heat. We were built for fire. We're built for flames. We're built to be alive in the power of a risen Savior. Let's pray. During Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for such a Savior. I'm thankful for both pictures. He stands, risen, reigning, ruling, king of all kings, lord of lords, with a sash across his chest, with burnished bronze on his shoes that are ablame, with eyes that pierce and see the truth that he stands. And he says, I am the amen. It's subtle to me. I am the revelation of truth. There's no other word. That I am the creator God. It all hinges upon me. And then he shows us grace and powers, he says, and yet I show mercy and love to you, a sinner. He stands and he knocks. If you would open, he'll come in and dine with you in fellowship. I'm thankful for such a tremendous, gracious Savior. Lord, I pray for some here that have never put their faith in Jesus. I pray that today, today they would settle. Today, Lord, you would draw them. Today that the barriers would be removed, I pray today, today they would settle it. I pray for some that maybe have sat in here for years and become so numb. I pray that today there's an urgency and they stand and they settle it today. I pray for us as a church that we would be encouraged, that we'd be strengthened, that we'd be on fire. We wouldn't, be, we wouldn't tend back to, to lukewarmness. We wouldn't, we wouldn't accept or tolerate coldness, but we'd be a, a people on fire. We'd be hot for the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, help us to be that kind of church. Thankful for you. I praise you and I worship you. And I love you. I call you my Lord. I praise you as my Savior. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.